Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you uh, for your goodness to us as your people. God, as we've gathered here today, you've called us here, you've drawn us here as your people uh, to be together, to celebrate the gospel, the good news of the person and work of your son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that as we have um, begun worship through singing and through prayer, God, now through the opening of your scriptures, the proclamation of your word, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be stirring up our hearts and minds toward you together. God, that you would convict us of sin and rebellion and our need for you. And God, that we would receive this good news of Jesus. And God, I pray that you would regenerate our hearts. God, that you would uh, save us. God, that you would shape us to be more like your son, Jesus by your spirit, through your word this morning. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 18. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access and one spirit to the Father. This is God's word. Friends, Jesus is our peace. Jesus takes us from hostile separation and brings us to a peaceful reconciliation with God the Father and with each other. And this is good news for us. Have you ever felt alienated? Have you ever felt uh, separated or unaccepted? Uh, even to the point of, of hostility. February is Black History Month, and we reflect on our own nation's history, especially here in the South, and uh, we see the repercussions of uh, hostile separation and hostile alienation, the, the harsh reality. I mean, you could see, I mean, some of you in this room were alive uh, during... Um, and desegregation and during the civil rights movement. Uh, but for those of us who are not, we see the videos and uh, remember um, looking back and hear the testimony of others of, uh, of how hostile the separation was. And see, with God, because of sin, because of rebellion, uh, because of pride, we too are alienated from God and from each other. And this is not just a mere uh, separation. Scripture tells us that this is hostile. That by nature, being alienated from God and separated from God is, is hostile. 
and being alienated and separated from each other is a hostile situation. We're unable to be uh, unified with God because of sin and rebellion. We are unable to relate to each other in peace because of sin and rebellion. We are unable to, we have the inability to uphold God's righteous standard. We have the inability to love each other well. We need rescue. We need God to intervene. God has to do something to save us and to change things, to make things right, to reconcile us to himself and to each other. And this is uh, the crux of the gospel, is that Jesus comes to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that is live a righteous life in line with God's holy standard loving others well and serving the Lord in gladness. Because of sin and rebellion, because of pride, we are alienated from God and each other, and this breeds hostility toward God and toward each other. But Scripture gives us good news. In Jesus, there is good news. There is what we know, the gospel. In these verses that we've seen, I mean, over the past a couple, uh, several weeks, and back in the fall when we began the series on Ephesians, we, we've seen that, uh, that in Christ we have a new identity. In Christ, this new identity uh, changes who we are, how we are to live, changes our hearts, our minds, our motivations toward God and toward each other. And today in this passage, we see that we no longer have the identity of aliens and strangers who are far off with hostility toward God and each other. But that in Christ, we are not strangers. We are brought into his family. We are uh, within a covenant of peace. Scripture tells us, at one time, you were alienated. But now, in Christ, you are reconciled. And this good news changes everything for us. So I want us to look at what it means at one time to be alienated and then what it means to be now reconciled in Christ. So we look at the first couple verses of our passage today. Verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made, by the, made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at one time, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, if that was the only verse you heard of the Bible, I don't know. Stillwater Tap Room would be booming for business tonight. (laughs) Because if we just hear that apart from God, you are strangers, you are separated from Christ, You are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That's God's people, his family. Strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God. What a dire state of affairs to find ourselves in. But scripture tells us here, you were at one time that I mean, all of us were at one time. If you were a Christian, you weren't always a Christian. I mean, if, you were, if you're a Christian now walking with Jesus, you, you, you've not always been a, a child of, of promise with hope and God. All of us at one time were strangers, separated from Christ, alienated, having no hope without God. 
You see, in the context of the first century church in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul is writing uh, to a highly religious community, a, a, a vastly diverse culture that had a great pagan spirituality. There was even a school of magic in Ephesus. Hmm? That's awesome. Broomsticks and whatnot. There was a great educational opportunity. There was a thriving uh, center of commerce uh, for that part of the world. It was, it was a, good, a good city. Okay? And they were familiar with the uh, Jewish faith and culture. There were those in that culture who had uh, those roots. But the vast majority were, were Gentiles. They were culturally, uh, ethnically, and religiously not God's people. They were culturally and ethically and religiously uh, not in line with God's word. And there was hostility between Jews and non-Jews. Throughout the history of the Old Testament, you see this, that there was constant hostility between Jews and non-Jews, cultural hostility, religious hostility, uh, economic hostility. But Scripture tells us that Israel was, was God's uh, chosen son, God's chosen people, his uh, recipients of his promises and love and covenant uh, but all the Old Testament leads us to Jesus. And we see that apart from God's intervention, no matter how good you are or religious or what tradition you hold to or what family line you come from, you are separated from Christ. You are without hope, without God. You're, you're an alien, a stranger to the covenant of promise. Those are pretty harsh words. For somebody to come up to you and say, you're Christless, you're godless. You have no hope. The promises of God don't apply to you. What does this look like for us today to, to see this? I mean, in the first century, it was very easy to say, look, here's, here are the Jewish culture. They, they have God's promises. And, and there was a sign of that covenant promise, which was circumcision. And, and so if you were in that line, you would, you would do that. And, and those who uh, were not connected to that community were not circumcised. It was a very physical, obvious situation to say, look, you are obviously in the promises of God and you were not. This is a sign of the covenant. That is not. But for you and I today, we find ourselves in the same state of affairs. Apart from Christ, we find ourselves looking toward sin and rebellion, toward functional saviors and false idols. I mean, the word Christ means Messiah is, is an anointed one where, where you would find your rescue and your salvation, who you would follow and so for you and I today, to be Christless means maybe uh, we are not following Jesus, who is the Christ, but we look for other saviors, other messiahs, other uh, rescuers. For you, it may be money. Think, if I just had this much amount of money in the bank, then I will be secure and safe. I'll find my identity in that. Uh, maybe it's a certain job or career or title that you're striving toward. It's okay to pursue these things, but if they become your ultimate savior, saying, look, if I just have that job, then I will be secure and find value and worth. Or if I have this social standing, then I will be rescued out of not being in a certain lifestyle that I hope to have. All of us have it. All of us find ourselves there because ultimately we are Christless. To be stateless and friendless means to not be connected to the community of faith. For the first century, he was saying, look, if you were, not, uh, if you were the uncircumcision, I mean, you, you are not 
walking in the promises of God, you, you, you were separated not only for Christ, from Christ, but he says here in verse 12, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That means saying you don't belong to the family of God. Man, that hurts, right? To say, look, you don't, you don't belong to the family of God. You don't belong to his people. You are not a recipient of God's promises. You have no hope. You were rejected. And do you feel unaccepted? Do you feel rejected? Do you feel unacceptable? Maybe it's because of the family you come from or the past mistakes you've made or even your personality. You see, but the gospel goes beyond just the state of affairs we find ourselves in apart from Christ. I mean, part of the gospel is, yes, apart from Christ, if you were separated from Christ, you are alienated from God's people, the commonwealth of Israel. You are strangers to the covenant of promise. You don't, you don't receive God's covenant love. Right? You have no hope. You're without God. But verse 13 changes everything. Because the Apostle Paul says, hey, remember that at one time you were a stranger, that at one time you were alienated, that at one time you had no hope, at one time you were without God. Verse 13 changes everything. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. Is that good news for you? Is that good news today to know that at one time, due to sin and rebellion and pride, whether it be chasing down functional saviors and functional idols, or just finding yourself in a, in, in a disconnected, selfish lifestyle, at one time you were alienated, but now, in Christ, you were reconciled. You have been brought from being far away from God to near from being alienated from his people to being brought into the family, from being strangers to the promises of God to being a recipient of God's promises. I mean, this should bring us great joy to know that in Christ, those things happen. That in Christ, when you read the Old Testament and God is talking about how much he loves his people and how he's just going to lavish his eternal love and promises on Israel, you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. I wish I was an Old Testament Israelite. Those promises are true for you. In Christ. Apart from Christ, you have no hope. I don't care what your educational status, financial status, religious status. Yeah, you can memorize the whole Bible, but if you are not in Christ, you have no hope. You're without God. You see, apart from Christ, we are strangers, we are aliens, we are hopeless, we are godless. But in Christ, we are reconciled. So how does Jesus do this? I mean, so Jesus just walks in on the scene and says, be ye reconciled. Kind, kind of. That's kind of what he does. Look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's important. Because we can quickly say, okay, I understand that uh, if you're separated from Christ, you're alienated from his people, you are strangers to his promises, you have no hope, you have no God. When you read the first couple of verses, you're like, okay, that stinks. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. Awesome. And if we don't finish the sentence, we can find ourselves plugging in other little verbiage and predicates to the sentence, right? You can say, uh, but now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near because you do everything right now. Or in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near because uh, you memorize the Bible better than anybody else. Or because you uh, serve the poor more often than everybody else. Or because you give certain amounts of money or have acquired such and such education. Man, we can easily plug in predicates to the subject of that sentence and totally miss the gospel. You see, the gospel is now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If we miss the blood of Christ, we miss the gospel. Because Jesus is just not some good moral teacher. He's not our example only, although he is. He is not just some uh, new philosophical framework we follow. Right? The gospel, it is vital to see that we who were once far off are brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, the blood of Christ is referring to his sacrifice. I mean, Jesus died our death on a cross, the penalty for sin. He absorbed the wrath of God on your behalf. He took the penalty for the wages of sin, the death, the punishment on his own body. He shed his blood as a sign of a new covenant to bring those who were far off into his family. Something we can't do on our own. You see, part of the gospel is that we have been brought far from being far away to near by Christ, by his blood, but also there's more that Jesus did. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in, the, in, his, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances. You see, Jesus not only died a death as our substitute to take the wrath of God and the punishment of sin as for our atonement, but also he lived a perfect life that we should live. And see, this is also part of the gospel because we see that, 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 that Jesus dies to take away our sin and to take away the wrath of God from us, but also he lived a few decades before he died. Jesus just didn't come in and say, hey, here I am, kill me. He lived a perfect life fulfilling all of the moral law on our behalf and then taking away the ceremonial law all right, the law is very complicated, and I'm not going to be, uh, pretend to be an expert. But when you look in the Old Testament and you read the Old Testament law, you see that some of the law is moral law, some of it is ceremonial law, so some of it is, is culturally sensitive. That's why, uh, you know, if you bust out Leviticus and say uh, tattoos are wrong, but you're eating bacon, you're totally missing the point. Because there are some parts of Levitical law that have to do with Le- Levite priests only and have nothing to do with tattoos for you and me. I have a tattoo. Don't we all? Huh? Loch Ness Monster on the lower back, anyone? Just kidding. (laughs) Right? Pass it on. Um, You see, Jesus came to uphold the moral law. 
I mean, Jesus lived the perfect life, held every letter of the law to, to a T, you know, morally. Ceremonially, Scripture tells us here that he abolished the law, and that's hard for us to understand because we say, well, does that mean we just throw away the whole Old Testament? No, no, no. No, don't throw away the whole Old Testament. That's God's word. That's pointing us to Jesus. I mean, God's law is God's law. But the beauty of it is that you can't keep it. I mean, you've broken, you're probably breaking some of the <laughs> Old Testament law right now. But Christ upheld it on our behalf and gives us his righteousness in, in place. And he abolishes the ceremonial law, which is why we don't have to have uh, certain ceremonies to relate to God. We don't have to have animal sacrifices. It's, it's why we don't have to do prayers at a certain way at a certain time. I mean, that was, that was good. That was what God had in place for his people because he's a good God. And he said, I want to show you about me. And I want you to be my people. And I want you to be set apart. And so for, for a season, he did those things. And we see that in scripture. And it is good. I'm not knocking it. But now, this side of the cross... We don't have to do those things because Christ did them on our behalf. And so scripture tells us here, let's just get back to scripture. That's usually the best thing. By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. So Paul's saying here, look, because of the work of Jesus, because he lived a life we should have lived and, and abolished the ceremonial law, which was, which was dividing, and then he died a death as our substitute, uh, he's bringing us together. For the first century, a Jew and a Gentile would be drastically separated culturally and spiritually and religiously. And Paul is saying, look, in Christ, we're going to get to this more next week and over the next coming weeks, what it means to be the unity in the body of Christ. Because apart from Christ, we are all alienated. We are all far off. We are all separated from the promises of God. But in Christ... Uh, we are brought near. We are recipients of promise. We have hope. We are not alienated. We're not strangers. You see, Paul says that because of the perfect life of Christ and his substitute, substitutionary atoning death, he himself is our peace. That he broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 16, he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. I love this. The gospel is a multifaceted jewel. And so we, we look at the perfect life of Christ, but that's only one beautiful facet of the jewel of the gospel. We look at the death of Christ for our substitute, his broken body, his shed blood on the, on the cross. That's such a vital part of the gospel um, but there's other facets as well I love what Paul says here verse 17 he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near oh what a beautiful sentence you see Jesus lived a perfect life upholding the moral law died a death as a substitute taking away the wrath of God off of us for sin and atoning for sin ceremonially so we don't have to uphold the ceremonial law. But Paul says here that he came and preached peace. This sentence, I mean, this is why we need the Old Testament, one of the many reasons. If you read the book of Isaiah, read the whole book, 
But particularly chapter 57, verse 19, (laughs) is what Paul is referring to here. You see, God's people throughout the whole history of the Old Testament were constantly aliens and strangers and culturally weird, set apart. We see that there were time and time again where God's people were in bondage. Hmm? Like the book of Exodus, like Moses, right? Ten Commandments, Yule Brenner, come on. God's people were in bondage, being persecuted and abused in slavery, and God sets them free and says, I'm going to lead you to freedom in a land that I will promise you because you are my people and I love you. And because you are going to where I have promised, you're going to be a recipient of promise. You are going to receive these promises by my covenant love toward you because I'm your dad and you're my kids. It's going to take you a couple decades to get there. And as you go, I want you to live a certain way. I want you to do certain things, not so that you will be my kids, but because you are my kids. Not so that you will receive my love because you have received it. Not to get freedom, but because you have been freed. I want you to live a certain way. Here's certain laws and commandments I have for you as you walk this long 40-year journey to the land of promise that I have for you so that I can bring you peace. Shalom. That means uh, a right relationship with God a right relationship with others. It's not just the absence of war and the absence of hostility, even though that's part of it. It means that things have been made right again, reconciled once and for all. And so God says in Exodus, I'm going to lead you to this land of promise to freedom so that you can experience this peace with me and each other forever. But you get past Exodus and you see a couple chapters later that time and time again, God's people are being uh, taken over by other nations going to war, being abused, being persecuted, being removed from their land and in exile, and then coming back again and rebuilding the city. We see in the first century during the time of Jesus that that Israel was occupied by the Roman Empire. Taxes were astronomical. During the first century, when Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, uh, there is much persecution. If you are a Christian, you are... uh, on the run in some cases, being fed to lions and set on fire, (laughs) boiled alive, heads lopped off, crucified upside down, you name it. And Paul is saying, Jesus himself is our peace. And he came to proclaim this peace. (laughs) Referring to Isaiah 57, when, when God is saying, look, God will comfort and restore his people once and for all. I mean, Isaiah proclaims this hundreds of years before Jesus, and then Jesus comes on the scene and is proclaiming this peace and saying, God is going to restore his people once and for all and comfort them. He is going to fulfill his promises that you've been waiting for, for generations and generations. And then Jesus, proclaiming this, preaching this peace, lives a perfect life upholding the moral law and, and dies a death on a cross, taking away sin, the wrath of God, and, and abolishing the ceremonial law, saying once and for all, here is the peace. I mean, you want to be right with God? Here Jesus is. You want to be right with each other? Look to Jesus. 
And so for Paul to write this to the church at Ephesus is just mind-blowing because he's saying, look, you religious people, uh, you know, the Jews who found their security in their tradition, it's not bad. It was, it was God gave them that tradition for a reason, but they found their identity in the tradition rather than in what the tradition was pointing to, which was Christ. Right? They found security in being circumcised, saying, look, we have this mark of covenant promise. And the whole time God's saying, that's a mark, it's a sign. That sign points to me. Don't stare at the signs. Look at who the sign points to. All the while, uh, in the first century, those who were in that were, were finding great pride and being alienated from the other believers that God was saving from around the globe. And Jesus and Paul says here, look, all of us were alienated from God's people. All of us were strangers to the covenants of promise. All of us had no hope. All of us were without God in the world. All of us were separated from Christ. But now, in Christ, because of his life, because of his death, because he preached peace, he proclaimed the gospel, then he displayed it. We have peace with God, with each other. Christ himself is our peace. He came and preached peace to you who were far off. I love that. Unless you were a... uh, law-abiding Jew in the Old Testament, you are far off from God. And Jesus came and preached that peace to you who were far off. (laughs) And peace to those who were near. I love that. So the most righteous person among us and the most reprobate person among us get the same peace in Christ. There's no rating scale of who's better. For through him, we both, awesome, I love it. Through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Good news, right? I want to keep going, but we're not going to. We'll pick it up next week, (laughs) but I want to. When we look at the gospel, so how how, how are we responding to this? I'm like, we're saying, all right, Jeremy, I'm tracking with you. You got... All of us, apart from Christ, are alienated and strangers. We have no hope. We have no God. I get it. And those in the Old Testament were recipients of God's promises, and they were marked with circumcision, and they had their thing going, but the whole rest of the world did not. And God came, Jesus came to preach peace to those who were far off and to those who were near and brings them all together as one, one people. And so these are my people. I miss the beauty. I mean, either... There's not good guys and bad guys. There's bad guys and Jesus. We, we all are horrible, apart from Christ. Some of our horribleness looks prettier than others, but it's horrible just the same. So what are we to do with this gospel? What are we to do with the good news that Jesus is our peace, that Jesus came and preached peace, proclaimed the good news, displayed the gospel by, by living a perfect life, dying to death, that he himself is our peace, he is our reconciliation. We do not have to strive to be at peace with God through our education or our good works or our traditions. Those can be good things. Those can be effects of the good news. Um, I'm not saying, hey, check out, let's just not be generous, let's not serve people because of the gospel, right? And because of the gospel, you should be generous, you should be serving people, you should be uh, pursuing opportunities for education and work because of the gospel, right? So what are we to do? Paul tells us in this passage a few things we are to do. If you are a Christian, don't check out here and say, Jeremy, I get it. Life, death, burial, resurrection, saved, right? 
Paul himself is writing to this community and says that a couple things are to do. And the first thing, and I want us to do this, it's good to do this. We have, we have questions in your bulletin uh, because it's important for us to do these things. So take these questions and discuss them with your spouse or your missional community or a trusted friend and just reflect on them personally this week because there's a few things that Scripture tells us to do here. The first is this. Remember. Verse 11 he says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by flesh in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So the first thing we're to do in light of the gospel is remember. How we remember looks different because of Christ than if we are not with Christ. Now, what I mean by that is this. If you look back on your past and say, holy cow, it's a miracle I'm not in jail. College was insane. I'm so thankful YouTube didn't exist then. Apart from Christ, we remember who we were and how we were. And apart from Christ, man, we get guilty. We're just like, oh my gosh, I'm a horrible person. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I ran in that crew. I hope my mom doesn't know. See, apart from Christ, we carry guilt and shame and embarrassment. But the beauty of the gospel is that in Christ, when we remember, we say, wow, look how good God was that he would show mercy on a sinner like me. Look how gracious God was that he would choose to save me. I had nothing to offer. I brought nothing to the table of the gospel. The only thing I brought was my sin. And God said, I love you anyway. And he took it away. See, it's important for us to remember. And often we don't do that. I mean, I'll be honest. How often do we remember? See, Paul says in verse 11, remember that at one time, verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. That you were. It's important for us to remember who we were apart from Christ. So think about that. And don't hit the bottle. Look to Jesus. And respond. Say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. I was a liar. I was a cheater. I was a pervert. I was a drug addict. I was a whatever your past looks like. That's not you anymore. So remember who you were apart from Christ. But respond with joy. It's important for us to reflect on our, on our past. Reflect on your past personally. Reflect on your past in marriage. Look back in your marriage and, and your family and think back to seasons where the gospel was not really thriving. And be like, man, that year was awful. And look back and say, look what God did. It's, it's amazing that our marriage is going well now. It's amazing that God has kept our family intact. Look how good God is. It's important to remember personally and with your family. It's important to remember in our heritage. I mean, even in our nation, in our culture, we are in the South. Like I mentioned before, it's Black History Month. Let's reflect on that for a little bit, shall we? And see what happens when the gospel is not at work in our politics or in our neighborhoods. And let's say, wow, wow, Jesus, it's a miracle you didn't burn this city to the ground like Sodom and Gomorrah, huh? I'm a little too fundy. Maybe, but maybe, maybe not. 
And it's good to say, look at what God, God does in the midst of ridiculous cultural sins, social sins, personal sins. It's good to reflect on our, on our church and say, wow, the well. Some of you guys are like, what's the well? The well was a church that started in downtown Augusta and has changed to Redemption Church that now meets in a school and has an office downtown. Ooh. It's good to reflect and say, wow, in some cases our church should not have survived that. In some cases God honored this and didn't honor that. We thought he'd do this, but he did that instead. It's good to respond in reflection and remember what God has done in our midst. So remember, all right? Secondly, this air conditioning keeps blowing my pretty little Bible pages. Is that the sound of angels' wings? No, it's my Bible being blown. Secondly, pursue peace. Pursue peace. You see, if Jesus is himself our peace, and we have been rescued by this Jesus, by this Messiah, by the Christ, we are to pursue peace because Jesus is our peace. Right? And so what that means is this. If Jesus secures a right relationship with God and a right relationship with each other, that's how we are to live. You see, in the book of Exodus, Jesus says, I mean, God says, look, you were in bondage for a couple hundred years. I'm going to set you free. Boom, you're free. And the land of promise is 40 years that way. And as you walk, live this way and do this thing and love each other and serve like this and worship me because you're free. Because I'm giving you peace. In the same way as Christians, God, through Christ, has secured for us a right relationship with God and a right relationship with each other. But it's not automatic. It's something he gives us because of who he is. Jesus himself is our peace. And because he's our peace, because he is our peace, we pursue relationships with each other and relationships with God. And this isn't easy. But if you have Jesus as the focus of your marriage, your marriage will look different. If you see that your identity is in Christ, who is your peace, husbands, you will love your wives in a different way than if you love your wives apart from Christ, right? If you love your wives apart from Christ, you are going to be separated, alienated, strangers with no hope and no God. Do you want that in your marriage? I don't. In Christ, if Jesus is your peace in your marriage and in your family, you will pursue your wives, men. Pursuing the peace that Christ himself secured for you. With your kids as well. If you have children, raising them in the peace of the promise that is yours because Jesus has brought you from far away to near because you have hope. And is your household filled with hope? Or is it a despairing place? Right? Pursue peace with uh, those within your church community. That's hard sometimes. Sometimes church people are, they're like siblings, you know, you're like, you take them for granted, so you fight with them more. <laughs> That's my brother in Christ, I'm going to punch him in the food. Metaphorically speaking. But in Christ, if Jesus is our peace, well, we should be pursuing peace with each other in this room, and in our missional communities. How about your neighborhoods in which you live? You see, as we pursue peace, we are reflecting who Christ is. If Christ is our peace and we are his people, we live lives pursuing peace with God and each other because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, right? So, number one, remember who you were 
Apart from Christ and remember who you are because of Christ and the work he's done. Secondly, pursue peace in relationships with each other. Thirdly, enjoy intimacy with God. All right, because of the work of Jesus, Paul says here, for through him we have both access and one spirit to the Father. Verse 18. I mean, that's huge. You do not have to pursue access to God. You have access to God. You don't have to you know, do this reading and, and try to pursue this spiritual you know, situation over here. Or you do not have to ascend to this philosophical scenario over here. Or you do not have to do so many good works on your checklist in order to have access to God. The beauty of the gospel is verse 18. For through him, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You have that. You have it. Now what? Pursue intimacy with the Father. You can read God's word and understand it because Jesus has broken down a wall that separated from you from the author of this book. And so now that you have access to God the Father, you can read scripture and understand it. You can pray to God and know that he hears you. You can, you can worship God in joy and true worship. Enjoy intimacy with God. I mean, friends, when your life is hard, when your marriage is struggling or your family is tense or your job is falling apart and your money is just on fire in the bank and you're like, holy cow. You can pray to God and know that he hears you because of the work of Christ. That's good news, right? So remember, pursue peace, enjoy intimacy with God. And fourthly and finally, live with hope. Man, because apart from Christ, we are strangers. We are separated from Christ. We are alienated. We are strangers to the covenants of promise. We have no hope without God in the world. (laughs) Verse 13, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near. He's abolished the commandments of ordinances. He is himself our peace, making peace. Verse 16, he's reconciling us both to God and one body through the cross, killing hostility. He came and preached peace for those who are far off, those who are near. Through him we have both, both have access in one spirit to the Father. So friends, in Christ you can live in hope despite your circumstances today or this week or this year. 2012 was a hard year for a lot of people, myself included, my family included. But thank God for the gospel. Jesus himself is our peace. It's 2013, it's a new year. I'm praying that we will live as a church, as friends, as family, as couples, as brothers and sisters in Christ who have been brought from far off to near. We are together, and God is at work here. May we live with hope. Is that a deal? Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. God, the gospel is indeed a multifaceted jewel. And God, I pray that you would put within us a burning longing to gaze at the beauty of the gospel all of our days. God, I thank you for the peace that is ours in Jesus, the hope that is ours in Jesus, that we are no longer separated, alienated, strangers, being friendless and hopeless 
and hostility, but God, that you've brought us together, that we are a family, and together as a family experience the promises that you lay upon us, that you lavish upon us as a loving father to your wayward children, God, that you have brought us from far off to near, together, one body, one family. And that, God, I pray that despite, uh, as we remember where we've come from, whether it's uh, wretched, sinful, hardship, or whether it's good, um, uh, tradition and moral living and uh, God that we would reflect through the lens of the gospel and say wow no matter how bad I was I'm saved because of Jesus no matter how good I was I'm saved because of Jesus and God that as we reflect and remember who we are who we were and where we have come from that we would turn our eyes to you in gratitude and humility and worship and praise and joy and hope and God that together in our marriages and families and missional communities and as a church body and in this neighborhood and in this city, we would experience an eruption of gospel renewal, of reconciliation, of joy and of peace because of who Christ is and what he's done on our behalf. God, I thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. I thank you. Oh God, I thank you for my friends and family in this room and what you've done for us. God, I pray you continue to bless us for your glory and our joy, and that the good news may advance. In Christ's name, amen.